Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Really sweet uh, things that are happening. We've been encouraging you in a couple of things. Um, this weekend, we've had a, a busy weekend. Lots of stuff that was happening here at the church. Give a couple of updates on that uh, today in the message. We've been encouraging in the, in the month of May, uh, just in the spirit of generosity, which we have seen in so many fronts uh, from this church family just already this year. Uh, we're focusing in just on our general fund giving and just kind of doing our, our best to get caught up on that front. And we've just seen God doing some great things there. So thank you for your spirit of generosity. I'm going to continue to lean into that. Uh, we had a dodgeball tournament this weekend. Oh, yeah, we did. Oh, yeah, we did. I think there was a picture maybe going to go up. I'm not sure. Did they get you a picture? No? Okay. That's probably better. Uh, no, no evidence. Uh, so, yes, yeah, it was a lot of fun. The, the coolest thing about it was that we were able to come together. We had a lot of fun. It was, it was a great time, but this was all a fundraiser for the Life event that's happening, the Life Conference that's happening. We're sending a whole bunch of uh, young people to the Life Conference this summer, and so to all the people that sponsored or participated in that event, uh, that was fun. We're grateful for you and everything. I don't want to brag. I don't want to brag, but the team that I was on did take second place in the adult division. And so, you know, it was pretty sweet. Silver medal, you know, I, I, yeah, it's fine, it's fine, it's good. Yeah, what was the question there? Um, how many teams were there? Right, right, so if I recall, how many teams did we have? I think there were two, yeah, there were two teams. That's right, there were two teams. So uh, we took second, you know, that's, that's awesome, fun. Uh, no, it was great. It was a great event. We had a good time. And, uh, and then we had a great time with our men's ministry event uh, last night. We had uh, Dan here, who was, who was with us here, right? Yeah, I thought I saw him coming in. Dan, thanks for being with us. I didn't know we were going to get you in church, too. Um, I'm bringing you up in the sermon, so just if your ears are burning, that's, you know, that's what I was talking about your last message, too. Um, so a couple of things. If you're new with us, we've been going through a series called The Wondrous Cross. This is our seventh message. We've got two more. Uh, that we're going to be going through in this particular series. Uh, leading up to Easter, we were talking all about the, the exciting things that God's doing through the cross. Fear is stilled. Good Friday, he is risen uh, on Easter Sunday. And then after Easter, we've really been focusing on just like all of the ministry stuff that comes out of the finished work of the cross. And so I wanna keep our attention in that direction today. We talked about access to God, finding Christ in brokenness, breaking barriers, and stepping into that barrier-breaking anointing uh, that we said last week. That is, a, that is a significant part of your ministry calling. And, and I think if anything right now, the Lord's been really in, impressing on my heart how vitally important it is for the church, all of us in the church, to embrace our ministry calling. Like, you have gifts that I don't have. You've got a calling that I don't have. I've got things that you don't have, you know, right? So, so we together form the body of Christ in a very special way. And so to really elevate that, to throw fuel on that fire, that's where my heart is at today. And so last week when we were talking about what are the barriers that you're going to break down, we heard from some of you. I'll share a little bit of uh, feedback from that. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about the wondrous cross, our consolation. And I want you to turn to 2 second, uh, Corinthians. We're going to look in chapter 1 today. And I, I think that what God is, is revealing in these passages is really a beautiful sort of part and counterpart, but all in the spirit of, of you finding your place in his ministry. 
and his calling over your life. So our consolation, consolation is a little bit of a strange word. It's defined as the comfort received by a person after a loss or a disappointment. And in some ways this is ironic because the symbol of the cross is a symbol of excruciating pain. It is a symbol of prolonged execution, and yet, somehow in God's economy, he, he uses that symbol uh, as a source for our comfort. And so I want to talk a little bit about how Paul unpacks that idea in 2 Corinthians. The concept, as I said, pairs beautifully with our message from last week. It's connecting us to the mission of Christ. So if you're trying to figure out, like, where are we exactly? We're connecting to the mission of Christ. Say, mission of Christ. That's what we're trying to connect to. So that you have a part to play in the mission of Christ. Now, I want to set a little bit of context to what does this mean to help you really grasp this missional calling. And I know there's some of you that are going, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm not, you know. There's others of you that are like, I'm kind of intrigued by that. I'd like to know more about that. And then we actually have a lot of people who would probably say, I'm walking that out right now. I mean, I'm growing in my missional calling right now, but I believe that is something for all of us to continue to go after. So let me give just a little bit of context that I think will be helpful for this message. When you think about like the historical timeline, we read uh, or we shared a couple of weeks ago about Christ sort of through all of the Bible, right? And many of you were like, oh, that was awesome. That wasn't unique to us. That was some resources that we've come across over the years and different people and shared in, in different ways. Uh, but that idea of that Christ-centered hermeneutic, Christ all through the Bible, what happens as you are reading in the Old Testament? I've got a little graphic that I want to put up here. Uh, this is the extent of my graphic design ability. So I'm not quitting my day job, just so you know. I'm looking at multiple faces of people who do this much better. But the context, uh, it just helps to give us some context. That when we read the Old Testament, when we read the history and the poetry and the law and the prophets, that all of this is funneling toward a central figure. All of this is funneling toward a central work of redemption. That's the finished work of Christ at the cross. And then when we read the New Testament, we're talking about the Gospels and the Acts of the early church in the epistles, we're now seeing this expanding outward from a central figure and a central place of redemption that is the cross. So if we can see that and understand that, it helps us understand our ministry well. What that means, however, is when you're reading that the empty tomb and the newborn church, the gifts of the Spirit, the Great Commission, repentance and baptism, all of this flows from the central figure who is Christ and the central work of Christ, which is our redemption, his work at the cross. That's why we talk so much. Maybe, maybe we're annoying at how much we talk about the finished work of Jesus. It's about the finished work of Jesus because from the finished work of Jesus, all of these other things flow. Now, we would probably say the New Testament and beyond because your calling now comes into play. Every word of gospel declaration, every word of gospel declaration, every act of gospel demonstration that you do that I do now is flowing from this central place of the finished work of Jesus. All of this comes from the wondrous cross. 
The global work of Jesus is continuing today with expressions of the body of Christ on every continent, every place where two or more are gathered in his name, the church is alive and the church is active. And so that's kind of like, if you can get your mind around that, my ministry, your ministry, our life flowing out of the finished work of Christ that comes from the wondrous cross, that gives us the context and in that context, I want you to read what we hear in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you want a little outline for today's message, we're going to talk about active faith. We're going to talk about calling and comfort. We're going to talk about fullness and fulfillment. So those three things will make up kind of the outline of the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and following. If you've got your Bibles, follow along. It reads this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. And God, a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So I wanna talk for a moment uh, about active faith. We're gonna wrap up this series over the next two weeks. And if for some of you, faith has been kindled, praise God. If for some of you, faith has been deepened, praise God. That's what we're praying for. I think we've scratched the surface just a little bit on the greatest event in human history and the implications for us as we live in the light of the wondrous cross. They are immense. But I want you to see here in this passage as Paul's writing, I love this notion of engagement. I love the way in which he's calling his readers to be engaged with this thing. Notice the picture that Paul's painting, this active faith kind of picture. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, of, uh, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? It's a little bit of a unique passage you don't hear this in all of Paul's epistles. You don't hear it in all the chapters that he writes. But here he's specifically saying, praise be to the God of comfort who comforts us in our troubles. Why does he do that? There's two things that sort of stand out. The first one's fairly obvious. Number one, we need divine intervention. Somebody say amen to that this morning. Who needs a little bit of divine intervention here today, right? I mean, you come in with it. You carry bags, baggage. It's, it's not easy. We need divine intervention. Life is hard. Spiritual battles are real. Front lines are dangerous places to be, right? So when you are saying about yes to Jesus and you're stepping into a spiritual battle and you're walking through life, it's not a neutral playing field. And you're gonna take hits and you're gonna carry burdens and there's gonna be days that don't go the way you hope that they will and all that kind of stuff. We know that is real. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. John 16, you guys remember that, right? So we realize this, but here's this idea now, we need divine intervention. But that's actually not where it stops. It says, praise be the God and our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. He comforts us in, our, in all comfort, uh, in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble 
with the comfort we ourselves received from God. So not, not just that we need help, but it's so that we could comfort others. There's so much in this passage, so rich. There's so many things you could dissect and, and pull apart. I mean, we could do multiple sermons probably on this, but I want you to see this. This is your ministry. This is your ministry. When you receive from God and then you begin to see through his eyes your world and then the things that you've received you begin to unpack in your world, that is what ministry is. That's your calling in many ways, very plain and very simple. The picture, once again, it's not passive, it's active, it's engaged, it's connected both to the work of God in us and the work of God in the world through us. So you see what I'm saying? This is why, we, this is ministry. Now, I wanna say something that I think you're probably, most of you are going to agree with. Faith that is active and purposeful is always better than a faith that is simply busy. How many of you can say amen to that? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are so busy, you run around, you're doing all kinds of Jesus stuff, right? You're running here and running here and church stuff and ministry, da 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 Busyness happens. But most people that I talk to who are Jesus-loving people, they don't, they don't celebrate their busyness. They see that as something to be overcome. Why? So that they can stay to the things that are real, that are active, and that are purposeful. The biggest lament that I hear in ministry circles, the biggest lament that Amy and I share when we talk about ministry is this, we want to do things that are real and purposeful. Our goal is not to be more busy. Your goal is not to be more busy. I've never talked to a Christian who said, I just wanna get busier for Jesus. I talk to a lot of people, and I talk to a lot of people here in this church who are saying, I wanna be on, on task with Jesus. I wanna be on target. I wanna be doing kingdom things that really matter. And that's an exciting group of people to encounter, to be a part of. So faith that is active and purposeful is better than faith that is busy. Faith that is active and purposeful is better than faith that is dead, obviously, right? But you remember what James said. He said, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but they don't have any deeds, can any faith save them? Goes on to say, in James, this is in James 2. So, well, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by my deeds. And then finally in, in, 26, in verse 26, he says, it's like the spirit without the body is dead. So like faith without works, that are built, you got dead faith. You have this dead proclamation. So we don't want that. We know we don't want that. But then how about this? Like faith that is active and purposeful also better than a lukewarm faith. Jesus said this in Revelation 3. He said, I know your deeds but you're neither hot nor cold, and I wish you were one or the other, but you're lukewarm, and so what? Yeah, I'm gonna spit you out. Like, it's just, it's, it was sort of repulsive. Like, I don't want lukewarm faith. So we, you don't want lukewarm faith, right? This is about, Lord, by Jesus, in, in, the, in Jesus' name, we say no to lukewarm faith, right? We're saying yes to real faith that's active, that's purposeful. So we see Paul sort of calling the Corinthian church to this. I want to just stay on this for a minute. We're going to dig into this passage just a little deeper here. But last week, we were in Ephesians 2, talking about Christ becoming the barrier breaker. And we're saying, okay, so as Christ's ambassadors, what is our calling? You are called to be a barrier breaker in Christ. Receive that calling. 
You know, whether you're 90 years old, whether you're 12 years old, much of following Christ is about breaking barriers. That's why the, the work of the evangelist is essentially to say all of those walls of skepticism and cynicism and hurt and everything, my job as an evangelist and your job if you're an evangelist is to actually dismantle those walls so that people can see Jesus clearly again. You're breaking down barriers. When we talk about discipleship, we're talking about breaking the bonds of the old nature so that we can be rooted more fully in Christ and who he is. This is why missionaries go. This is why activists act. This is why reformers reform. And the question we asked you last week is, what is your calling now? Like, what is God asking you to do? What barriers do you see? You know, the thing that's amazing is you likely are seeing something that other people aren't seeing. You ever notice that? That's, that's one of those sort of clues about calling. You're, you're seeing something that other people aren't noticing, and you might even find yourself saying, like, am, I, am I the only person who sees this? Like, I, I'm seeing this need, I'm seeing this barrier. Like, wh why isn't anybody doing something about this? And this is where we make the jump from sort of passive passivity, passive engagement, and say like, well, someone should do something to say, wait, no, God might be calling you to do something. He might be calling you to step forward. He's showing you something, revealing something to you. You're called to be a barrier breaker. What's your calling now? What is God calling you to do? So here's, here's what I was encouraged about. Last week, I, I sent out a little survey. Um, you know those uh, from the pastor's desk emails? We send, uh, we send them out every Monday. Now I know some of you just are like, I delete, whatever, delete. Don't delete it tomorrow because I actually would like you to have an opportunity if you have not kind of signed in on this. So this is what happened. Over these last, uh, this last week, you know, I've heard from dozens of people in this church who are processing this question. How am I called to be a, a barrier breaker? Uh, like, like what, is, what is God uniquely crafting me to do? And I'll tell you, it was like one of the most encouraging things I've experienced in a long time. Here's what, I've, here's what I saw from dozens of you that were responding. Uh, clarity and focus. Like, I was, I was pleasantly surprised at how many people are like, you know what, I know what I'm gifted to do. I know what God has called me to do. For some of you, it was like, you know what, God's calling me to reinvigorate. You know, he's refreshing that calling, but I've actually got a lot of clarity. I know how I'm wired. I know how I'm gifted. Even young people in this church are saying, you know what, I know what God is calling me to do. So I need to step out. We gotta support that, right, church? When we see young people stepping out in faith, we gotta be fueling that fire. That's, that's important. So I was, I was encouraged as I saw clarity and focus. I also saw uh, a sense of willingness. So like several of you responded and said, you know what, I'm not really sure what barriers. I'm not really sure what the calling looks like, but I'm willing. And I'll tell you what, I think that warms the heart of Jesus just as much as anything else. Willing. I'm actually willing. The scary thing about being willing is then you gotta be obedient. You know, you're listening, but then you might actually hear. And he might say, this is, this is what you gotta do. That's what I'm calling you to do. But, but there's a willingness. There's a hunger. You know, I, I hear that in the responses of people. There's a hunger. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not seeing people who are saying, I just wanna coast. People are saying, I, I, maybe I don't know how to do it yet, but I want to go deeper in my faith with Christ. That's what I'm talking about when we're talking about an active faith. We pray for that, for you. We pray that God would deepen your faith, deepen your hunger, deepen your willingness. And he's doing that in a lot of ways. So anyway, this, this week, 
Uh, I'm going to send that again because I'd love to hear more. I'm like, this is is not a sign up to do stuff, okay, just to be clear. This is just, I want to hear what God's doing. I want to hear how God's stirring. I want to celebrate that with you. If you need some help or direction, we'll be happy to give it. But I'm going to send that out again this coming week in tomorrow's email. I would love for you if you didn't sign up on that or just sign in. It'll take you two minutes. We'll love to celebrate that. Okay. Second point is comfort and calling, calling and comfort. Paul says this, who comforts us in all of our troubles? Why is it? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So I was thinking about this barrier-breaking calling, and then I'm hearing the Spirit say, you know, some, some of you would say, you know, slow down, Braveheart. You know, you're just like a hyper-masculine, like, ah, we're gonna break stuff down. You know, it's like, it's not me. That's not how I'm wired. You know, you're, you're going, that's, that's, I, don't, I don't know if I resonate with that or whatever. But see, here's, here's sort of the beautiful thing, I think, with these two messages. While some of you would resonate deeply, you can't wait to break barriers. And the message for you, actually, is that you gotta remember 1 Peter 3.15. You gotta remember 1 Peter 3.15, right? So you've, you're, you have a, you're able to give a reason for the hope that you have, but you do it with what? Say it loud. Gentleness and respect, right? I mean, if you don't, if, if you set out to be a barrier breaker and you don't have that ingrained in you, you're just gonna make a mess most of the time. You know what I mean? You're gonna be overbearing and you're gonna be boorish and you're gonna be rude and all that kind of stuff. Gentleness and respect, I'm gonna break down barriers in Jesus' name. So, so some of you get that and you resonate with that. And others of you are like, well, you know, what about this? Well, here we have this beautiful counterpart, this calling to bring the comfort of God to our world. So last night, we hear this powerful message from Dan Culp, who's here with us. And I was really grateful, first of all, to our men's ministry. So thank you guys for, for putting that together. It was a, it, was a, it was a sweet little event. We, we did that. And uh, it was a blessing to a lot of people. But I, I love the story, you know, because if, if you were here or, or you didn't, if you don't know Dan's story, basically, here's a, here's a guy who, who saw compassion and the comfort of, of Christ sort of manifested in his home when he was growing up because his parents were taking in kids with some special needs and this became his family experience. And then God kind of put it on his heart to do the same thing with his home and his family as they were growing up. So now we, we see a, a family who's opened up their heart and their home to kids with special needs and it's beautiful. And so I'm, I'm thinking about this as I'm, as I'm watching him last night and I'm, and I'm hearing his story and I'm going, you know, breaking barriers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this is a guy who's, this is a family who's, who's breaking some barriers for sure. But they are also bringing comfort and care to those who had been forgotten or literally abandoned or neglected. So, so I want you to lean into this as we think about this idea of calling and comfort. The comfort that you have received will often shape your calling. Have you experienced that? The comfort that you have received will often shape your calling. The other thing I want you to see is this, that your experience becomes the currency that makes you credible. I don't know, some of you are kind of going, uh, I'm not sure, here's what I'm talking about. When you walk through a hardship, when you walk through trouble, 
There's gonna be plenty of people who wanna talk to you and tell you how you should be and every cloud is a silver lining and you know, they'll give you sort of trite words. Say, ah, da, da, da. But when you talk to somebody or sit with somebody, oftentimes there's no words, who has been through that trial. Do you know what I'm talking about? They bring a certain peace to your life. They are literally fulfilling this passage from Corinthians. That the comfort that they have received is now being transferred into your life. So Amy and I, several years ago, we went through a hard situation, a situation of loss, and it was a, a, it's a trial, you know, so we're working through and we're holding on and praying and stuff, but we're hurting. And uh, some of the people who were the most comfort-giving were the people who knew. They were the people who had walked that road. They had had a similar loss. And it wasn't even their words necessarily. It was just their presence. They were able to be a powerful presence oftentimes without saying a word. So this, this, for, this passage forces us to check our theology of suffering. We gotta come to terms with the fact, you know, if, if, you're, if you're thinking as, you know, if something bad happens, then God just must have checked out or he doesn't care or whatever. What this essentially tells us is he allows us to walk through trials so that we can learn how to minister. He allows us to be in a position where we need comfort so that we can learn what it is to be his hands and feet. Your experience becomes the currency that makes you credible. So some of, I, I realize some of you are carrying heavy burdens right now. You've walked through some, some hard situations, and what I don't want to say is I don't want to be trite about this. I don't want to say, hey, you know, get over it so you can help other people get over it. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't hear that. You are in a process, though, of receiving comfort, and God is going to use that at some point. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next week but God is gonna use those experiences. That's what the promise is that's embedded here. And that's what ministry is. That's what ministry is. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a quote. Your experience becomes a currency that makes you credible. Take a look at this quote here on the screen. Heartache forces us to embrace God out of desperate, urgent need. God is never closer than when your heart is aching. How many of you would say amen to that? Yeah, that's true. It's true. How many of you know who said it? Now you're like, oh man, don't tell me it was some horrible, despicable person that now I just agreed with or something like that. It's not. It's a beautiful, wonderful person. This is a quote from Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, if this quote was given by some random person, you would likely agree, but it might not move you substantially. But when you know that it's being shared by someone who has gone the road of heartache, and has known urgent need, it becomes deeply credible, right? So if you don't know Johnny Erickson Tata's story, she was paralyzed as a teenager. She has lived her entire adult life in a wheelchair, and yet God has used her speaking and her artwork and her ministry to like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people every year. She's speaking into their life with credibility because she has walked out this path. She knows this particular struggle in a way that I don't, and many other people don't. And so it is her experience that gives her credibility. This is what we're talking about. We receive and we give. This is ministry. God has the ability to use any circumstance for redemptive means. He works within you to bring comfort. He works through you to comfort others. 
And the best comfort seems to come from those who know how to be present in our pain. A powerful presence, often without saying a word, simply because they've been there. They've walked with Jesus. Okay, the last one is, I'm gonna talk about fullness and fulfillment for a minute. I love this. Paul says, if we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. Paul had a very (laughs) interesting way of looking at things. Hey, you know what? It's all about Jesus. If we're going through stuff, if we're distressed, it's for your comfort and your salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance and the same sufferings that we, while we suffer. And our hope for you is firm. So I love that. Our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. You, you know what I see when I think about God working through times of pain? It is, it is fascinating. It's not easy. I'm not wishing it on you. I'm not wishing it on myself. I'm just saying it seems that God works differently in times of pain. Can anybody say amen to that? Here's some of the things that maybe you have seen. First of all, you see that there's this beautiful bond that forms with those who have shared a hard season. I was, I was thinking back when my first assignment in ministry was in Huntington, Pennsylvania, just south of here a little bit, and the pastor that brought me on to the church um, with a, a year after I had started, uh, he died. He had gotten cancer, and, and he passed away, and it was it was just gut-wrenching. I mean, the the time for the whole church, I mean, it was incredibly, incredibly painful. And yet, what God did in that season among leadership and among people, there was this galvanization that was happening of people kind of linking arms and and praying like never before. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, just pulling together. So there is something in these hard seasons, a beautiful bond that happens. Another thing that happens when, when God is sort of working in our pain is that there's just certain muscles that are strengthened in these seasons that seem to be neglected when things are easy, right? I mean, do you pray differently when you're in that season of urgency and pain? Like, I don't know why it is. I wish I, wish I had the fervency to pray uh, as well as I do when I'm in pain uh, all the time. But there's something about those muscles being used. Uh, Patience and endurance. You know, James 1 says, Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So we just, we have to check our theology of suffering to see that God is at work here. And then the the other thing I see here just from this passage that encourages me is that hope emerges through the hardship. Isn't it awesome that that Paul is saying to them, my hope for you is firm. I mean, it's a statement, right? He's saying, I mean, this is a church that needs a lot of work. They got a lot of messes. They got a lot of problems. But he says, I want to tell you, my hope for you is firm. Like, I I got strong hope for you because my hope is in God for you. My hope for you is strong. I want to just give one last little check here because I, I hope some of you are beginning to maybe even think about, okay, not just what barriers do I need to break down, but what has God brought into my life? What is the comfort that I have received that I might then minister to other people? So you're thinking about this. The calling check I would give you today is this. You cannot give what you have not received, right? 
So, so if you are in a place right now, you're saying, I'm stepping in, I'm stepping up, I'm, I'm saying yes in maybe some new ways or whatever, but, but fullness needs to be a thing in your life if fulfillment is gonna be a thing. So second reason why I want you to check this email tomorrow when we send it from the pastor's desk out is uh, one of my mentors recently did a podcast on this whole fullness and, and fulfillment and uh, so amazing, and I, I'd like to share that with you, so I'm gonna include that as well in this email. But the, the fact of the matter is you... You can't give something you don't have. In fact, some of us, you, you may be trying to do that, and that's a great way to get burned out, right? You're, just, you're trying to give, you're trying to go, you're trying to do or whatever, but you need to receive. We, we give the comfort. Interestingly, this passage says, for any trouble out of the comfort that we have received. Isn't that interesting? We're giving, but only out of that which we have received. I want to give just a quick example. Um, praying to receive. That has probably, probably been the biggest change in my prayer life in the last two years. Praying to receive. Uh, before I got out of bed this morning, lying in bed, it's dark, sun's not up yet, and I said, Lord, I, I need to pray to receive. And I'm doing that because I know that I'm gonna stand up here in front of you and I'm gonna to try to handle God's word with some level of you know, accuracy and it's, it's not easy to do and, and I'm, I'm doing spiritual battles when I'm preaching to you and, and I face those kind of things and you're facing spiritual battles. So like, I know that the battlefield is real and I know all that stuff. So before I even literally get out of bed, I say, God, I, I need to receive from you because I know what we sang in our worship set is true. I need you, so I'll receive. Now, the, the, the beauty is I actually have the authority because Hebrews says you come into the, to the, the throne and we approach boldly and we receive grace in our time of need. And so like, we actually can believe that and we put that in practice. And so I'm not begging God. I'm not saying, oh, I promise I'll be good. And I'll be good tomorrow if you just help me today. I'm just saying, Lord, I'm gonna receive. I receive your presence. I receive your wisdom. I receive your help. I receive your authority. None of this is of me. I receive from him. Why? So I can give that to some other people. So I can walk in that in my ministry, my family, right? So, so you, you, get, you get your mind start spinning on this. Why I've not like exhausted this prayer yet is because I find it showing up everywhere. You know, I'm sort of stuck in what to do in sermon preparation. Well, Lord, you have wisdom and I need to receive it. So I'm gonna receive wisdom. You know, I'm, I'm frustrated with a certain circumstance. It's not working out or I'm feeling, ah, whatever. Lord, I receive patience. Uh, somebody told me after the first service, I had not heard this before, uh, I received patience because, Lord, if you gave me strength right now, I would kill someone. <laughs> That's so good. But we receive. We receive. We receive. So this has been, like I said, probably the biggest change in my prayer life. I have not found the end of this prayer yet. I have not found a circumstance yet that does not apply to say, Lord, I need to receive. Uh, several years ago, a couple years ago, when I was first kind of grappling with this, uh, I shared this with a Living Waters service, one of our, our prayer services. I was actually in this process of saying, okay, Lord, I want to do a better job of giving you praise in my prayer. I want to just worship, minister to your presence and all that kind of stuff. And the Lord stopped me in my prayer. This does not happen that often. The Lord stopped me in my prayer and I sensed in my spirit that he was saying, Aaron, you have not received yet. Like, you, you're, trying to, 
You're trying to like return some kind of glory to me and praise to me and all this stuff, and you haven't received it. You gotta receive from me first. So I said, okay, I need to receive. So then I got this image in my mind because at that time, uh, our younger son and I were starting to do a little volleyball in the, on the, in the driveway, and uh, he wasn't that good then. He's getting a lot better now. Um, but got this image in my mind. How many of you are volleyball players? We've got some volleyball players here, right? You know, so, so we'd pepper. You know, it's like I set to you, you hit at me, I dig to you. You set to me, I hit to you. you know, so it's, like, it's this kind of repeating pattern where you're going back and forth. But, but every one of those touches on the ball is dependent on receiving it from the other person, right? And that was the image that came to my mind. And so God began to cement some things. And, and I'm still growing in all of this, right? So I, you can pray for me. I just continue to grow and learn and receive. And I'll pray for you too. Uh, but this idea of, of receiving first. And I think what we see in this, we receive comfort and we give comfort, is actually a microcosm of the bigger work that God desires to do in you and through you in ministry in general. You gotta receive. And you cannot give what you have not received. So I'm gonna send a, a little podcast in that tomorrow that, again, this mentor, Fred Hartley, talks about that really good practical stuff, and I'll send that to you. So here's where I wanna wrap up. Worship team, you can come on up. Um, I wanna actually just ask you, um, what do you need to receive today? Hmm. Some of you might be, well, I need to receive comfort because I'm, I'm right in the middle of it. I'm right in the middle of the pain. You know, so today's day, I said, Lord, I'm here. Hands are open, receive. Some of you it's calling. Some of you it's wisdom. Some of you it's direction. Again, that direction prayer is a little scary because then it's gonna be obedience. Then it's gonna be stamina. All that stuff, we receive. So would you stand up? I wanna just pray for you, give you an opportunity to respond, and then we'll uh, move forward. This is important. Let me make sure that I say this as clearly as I'm able. When we talk about being a kingdom person, stepping into kingdom calling, breaking down barriers, sharing, like all of that stuff, so important, so good. This is what makes a church powerful, is when the presence of God is active in your life. You know, don't leave it to the professionals. Get, get involved, get active in your faith, right? So that's what's exciting. That's what we're praying for, for you. That's what we want you to receive. But if you have never first received Christ, you gotta start there. You, know, you don't have a relationship with him yet. So most of this message has been to people who have already received Christ. Maybe today you're going, I've never actually asked Christ into my life. I've kept him at an arm's distance. Let today be the day. Confess your sin. That's what separates you from God. And your first act of receiving is actually to say, I'm gonna fall on the finished work of Jesus. It's not gonna be my track record anymore. It's actually Jesus' track record imputed to you. That's the beautiful invitation of the gospel. But you have to receive that. You gotta get out of your own way and let him have, some, uh, have the, the throne of your life. That's what we talk about. Let him have the way that he wants to bring you into this place of redemption. Um, so in your own words, you can, you can do that. I wanna encourage you to do that. Um, let me pray over you. Father, uh, we need to receive from you. And so I wanna just pray a couple of things. And uh, friends, if this is you, just receive with open hands as you say, God, just work in my life today. First and foremost, we say, if, if you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time, man, we would love to celebrate that with you. The angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. 
So let your moment of receiving be to say, Lord, I receive your work on my behalf. I receive forgiveness of sin. I receive the righteousness of Christ. I receive new life in Christ. That's awesome. Jesus, I pray that you would change somebody's heart today. Shape somebody's heart. Call somebody home today. I want to pray specifically for the person who is needing comfort today. As we talked about that, Lord, we ask that you would allow your Holy Spirit to rest, that the presence of Christ would rest on them. I pray for the person who's calling and and, and asking to receive a greater sense of mission, a greater sense of calling, a greater sense of direction. Many of us, Lord, are here saying we need wisdom. Oh God, we need wisdom. Lord, I also want to pray that you would increase our hunger. God, that you would cause us to a church, to be a church that hungers and thirsts after you, hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Increase our hunger. And Lord, as I as I prayed for the first service too, would you would you increase our fruit? God, that we would have lives that would be increasingly fruitful in the way we represent you to this world. We are grateful, God, that we are able to receive. And with all that you give us and entrust to us, I pray that we would steward it well and use it well for your kingdom. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Why don't we worship together?